When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We're back, and this is episode 110, Day in the Life of a Web Developer. I'm Matt, that's Mike, and this week we'll be discussing Mike's Typical Day. And then for our web news, we'll be talking about reseller hosting and recurring income specifically. Now, if that sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go and do that. Check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us on our Discord server, or share this with your friends. And now it's time for our weekly pain points. So, Mike, sir, please take it away. All right. Uh, weekly pain point this week was VS Code being slow. So I think it's like a, a thing with every big application that becomes super popular. It's always going to get to the point where eventually it becomes over-engineered. Uh, too many extensions get added to it. You know, it just becomes too functional almost to the point where it's inherently slow because it's doing so many things for you in the background. Um now, this time, I've kind of optimized it a little bit. I've made it so that not all my extensions are on all the time because I had like extensions for Java, which I enabled a long time ago, running at all times. I had a bunch of a bunch of other extensions on that didn't need to be on. So I kind of limited that. I also switched back from the Insiders Edition, which is the one that was pretty much updated daily, uh, to back to like the Stable Edition. And that seemed to help as well. Um, I, I was on the Insider Edition because they have this thing called Settings Sync built in to the Insider Edition, which means that if I go on my like MacBook Pro, uh, I'll have the exact same extensions and settings because it syncs to my GitHub account. Um, but there's an extension for that, and it works pretty well. I actually like the extension better than the built-in feature. So I was like, screw it. I'm just going to go back to the stable edition so I don't have to worry about updating VS Code every day and I can get some better speed, stability, and all that back into my routine. So that's what I was doing last week. What about you, Matt? Uh, so this week, uh, my weekly pain point is that Mike wanted, quote, a beefy web news. So like last minute, we were talking here, just doing a little catch-up, and he said he wanted a, quote, beefy web news, so I had to go digging into Trello. And it's not really a weekly pain point because we found up finding a we finding a web news within a few moments but i don't have another weekly pain point all at the ready i've been going ham into some social media stuff as well as finishing up some projects for some clients so i that's my weekly pain point mike please please ask for web news <laughs> earlier i don't know i have no i have no feedback specifically it's literally he said it while i was writing my weekly pain point and i didn't have one so i just wrote what he said just don't like the beefy. That's, Campbell's I'm gonna, chunky I'm gonna all keep the way, saying bud. it to you. You're going to need to get me a beefy topic next week. Nice beefy topic for the We're podcast. We're going to call the episode Campbell's Chunky. Campbell's Chunky Web Developer Soup. I love Campbell's Chunky Soup. I haven't had it in a long time. I don't enjoy soup. I know. You hate soup, which is crazy to me. I love soup. It's Let because... us know in, the, uh, in our socials if you like soup or not. Go at HTML everything on twitter html things just dm us contact us post at us <laughs> what's your stance on soup we want to hear your soup 
The I want to hear how much soup, you like soup. The problem with soup is, okay, here, here it goes, here it goes. If I'm served it, so if I'm at like a formal event and I'm served it, I'll eat it. Like, it's not like I'm like, I hate every type of soup, but I ain't going to order it. And the reason why that is, is because when I had my wisdom teeth though, it was like a week or a week and a half of just soup. And the amount of like vegetable, chicken noodle, and then like chicken and cheese or something that I had in a week for breakfast, by the way, was horrible. Like, three meals a day, all just soup. So, I'm Dude, done. For me, that sounds good. I love ramen. That's kind of a soup, but it's more noodles than soup, I guess. But still. Ramen like, love- is good. Well, I've been out with you okay. for that. That is good. I will, because you're like, well, I mean, the one we went to was, the one we went to like a couple years ago or something was more, like there was solid food, like big shrimp and stuff like that in the soup. And you had to like eat it. And then the, the soup was like, steeped in all this solid food you were eating and then you drink the soup at the end that was pretty good i like that like i said like if, if i'm served a good soup i'll eat it but yeah. i ain't i'm not one you're, to not order go, soup. you're not gonna seek out soup i gotcha i gotcha yeah and ramen ramen's more like noodle a noodle dish than a soup dish anyway it's like it has less liquid than regular soup so yeah fair enough uh all right let's get right into it here so i'll today's episode is about me and what my routine is um I've been wanting to do this episode for a while, but I wanted to kind of lock down a good routine before I did it. And I think I'm there. Obviously, the routine is going to be varying day to day. I'll try to talk about the variances, but just know that it is, it's not exactly the same every day. Uh, but I do have a general rubric that I like to follow. So that's, that's where I'm going to go with. So segment number one is morning routine. Um, in the morning, I like to start off the day with not work. I like to kind of slowly get into work so the first thing i do is i make coffee i make coffee kind of slowly i i don't have a machine or anything that i have a french press so it takes like you know a certain amount of time to grind the coffee boil the water steep it for four minutes or whatever how how much time then pour it like that that whole thing is kind of like a, a habitual process now that i that i do and while i'm doing that i'm usually listening to a podcast um before it was a little bit like i would listen to the news but then the news got too depressing so i started to listen to like just random non-tech related stuff something that's completely unrelated from the work that i'm going to be doing that day so i I kind of try to separate out my morning from my actual work that's my goal for that Um, and once i finish that once i have my coffee once i sit down turn on my computer i'll start with also non-work related stuff on the computer so i go with like going email like checking my personal emails going to news sites uh, making sure that all my bills are paid like literally like just small tasks that i need to do throughout the day or that i would usually have done throughout the day i just kind of get my personal stuff done in the morning um now this process like doesn't take very long i'd say my morning routine before i start work is probably like a half hour maybe like maybe 20 to 20 minutes to a half hour but i find that it gets kind of gets me set up where i'm not like you know i'm not i don't want to check social media anymore i don't want to i don't need to see the news so i'm it's not on the back of my mind once i'm done all that i can kind of focus and get work done so that's my goal with that little morning routine so the first work related task that i do is to-do list management so i open up my to-do list um or and my jira board so i open up both and I kind of go through and figure out what I'm doing that day. So I'll see what tasks I didn't finish the day before. I'll add tasks that need to be done for that day. 
Uh, I'll add my, you know, meeting tasks that I need to do. So prep for meetings, like stuff like that. So I, I add all the stuff to my to-do list that I need to do. I don't go too granular usually, uh, but I'll at least over the overarching things I will add on to there so I can keep track of it, uh, especially when it's like a crunch time, especially when there's just a lot to do. If there's like only a few tasks, sometimes I'll skip the to-do list management in general. Uh, but lately it's been kind of overwhelming. So I'm trying to kind of get into that to-do list at least once, twice a day in that sense so that I can keep track and I don't forget because I've noticed that if I don't do that and I'm overwhelmed, I tend to forget some pretty important tasks and then in a meeting or a stand-up, people will be like, well, what's the status of this? And I'll be like, oh, I forgot it. And that kind of sucks. So I try to alienate that with a to-do list. Um, once I'm done that, then I'll actually get into some deep work. So I've, I've mentioned this before multiple times on the podcast, but my deep work hours are usually morning. So anywhere between 9 a.m. to like 1 p.m., I can get a lot of work done and I can get the more complex stuff done. And this to get to that point, it took me a little while to figure out where I'm most effective and what kind of tasks I need to do uh, during that time. But now what I do is I start with pretty complex things. And the reason for that is um, usually I've... If I start with a complex task and get it done, I'll feel pretty accomplished. And then I can get done like, you know, the smaller tasks that I go throughout the day. But not only that, when I'm like off work, when I'm doing something else and I have a complex thing on the top of my head, I'll try to solve it. And the first thing I want to do is get that solution on paper or, you know, on the, on the actual code and get it over with. Because it's just, it's always in the back of my mind and I, I need to get, to get it out of there if it's something complex. So I start with a complex thing, get that done, and then move on to the smaller tasks that are on my to-do list or just stuff that's been piling up and try to get as much done in that amount of time as possible. And again, that time frame is uh, anywhere between 9 a.m. till around 12 or 1 p.m. And that kind of leads perfectly into the segment number two, which is afternoon. Well, I'll, I'll actually jump in here and say that your your morning is much more uh organized in mine now i usually start later in the day so i mean you can like shift me down at a time slot if you will but effectively i don't i kind of wake up check all my like communications like check all my emails and stuff like that and see if there's anything that needs to be done right away something needs to be done right away i like just immediately sort of because i'm still in bed when i check my email so i like i'll like hop out of bed and then just go and do whatever it is needs to be done like immediately make some calls do whatever but in general, what I try to do is I try to do all my meetings before I jump into something because I hate jumping into something big and then being stuck in the status of I was, you know, deep into troubleshooting or deep into just doing something and then having to be like, oh, like someone someone from an unrelated project is calling or someone from the same project is calling about something unrelated or just asking even about what I'm doing and that kind of throws me off. So I my sort of deep work hours if we're taking it in that way so like my nice sort of deep work hours um i was going to mention this in segment three but i'll mention it now because as you talked about is it it's in the it's more in your segment three which is end of the day like i do it more at night in the evening or like i'll sometimes my deep work will be after i do stuff so i will i'll like work a bit you know during the day whatever work in the afternoon and then I will, I'll either sometimes work straight through depending on how busy we are, or I will take a break and do something, play a game, watch a movie, go out, whatever. And then I will come back and do like a deep work session into the night, which is why sometimes you'll get like a message from me at like five in the morning. But the, the reason why I do that is like, it, and it is strategic is because I find that I, 
am too distracted by constant messages. And like, I want to answer most of my messages. Like a lot of my messages are personal messages and I do want to answer them. And so when I'm in between calls and stuff like that, I can easily jump around and do that type of stuff. I can easily schedule all my social media stuff or whatever when I'm in that afternoon sort of working session or my morning, I guess, sort of working session. And then I'm able to, at night, no one's around. There's no like breaking news generally pouring in. And I'm not really a news guy anyway. So I don't really like look that stuff up anyway, and I'm not getting sent news articles. That's usually how I get my news is people send me stuff. So I more or less get curated news from people. So I don't really get any of that because everyone's asleep. And then I'm able to just go in and go in and just do something for a good four or five hours, two, three hours, whatever it is, depending on what it is. And I just end up banging it out. Like last week, Mike was on stream and like, yeah, I was chatting and stuff like that, but because it was just just the stream and like most people weren't around just the stream and just just me doing stuff i finished the entire front banner of the webflow uh thing which i just shared on instagram actually so it's that that's just sort of how i deal with it and it took me a while also to figure that out and it's probably also why realizing years later probably also why i would frequent doing homework later at night because i'm better without all those distractions and better without i'm very much the person that like if we're talking about somebody in the early 2000s, I'm very much the person that gets distracted by the red blinking light of a BlackBerry. I want to answer that message. I want to answer that call. I want to answer whatever. So when that's removed, I'm able to just sit down and go like, hey, I'm going to be bothered by X task. That's usually how I prioritize it. I'm going to be bothered by X task and it's going to ruin my sleep or I'm not going to get as good as sleep unless I finish this. So I'm going to finish this right freaking now. And so that I'm actually tired and then I'm going to go to sleep. Yeah, exactly. And you know, like my reasoning for doing stuff in the morning is exactly the same uh, as your reasoning for doing it at night. Uh, because my main development tasks are associated with a company that's in California. So it's a three hour difference in time frame, in time zone, three hours ahead of, of us. So they wake up later on for me. So therefore, when I'm in, like in the morning time, I don't have any distractions in terms of work communications, obviously, and other communications and stuff like that, I, I have to just turn off and deal with. Um, but in terms of work related, like meetings and stuff like that, it's all scheduled for after lunch in the afternoon session. So that's why I go to the morning. And again, the differences here is like, I'm more of a morning person than you are. So we kind of, uh, I, my schedule is adjusted for that. And, but that's really important. Like this is this, this stuff is really important to figure out. And this stuff is what really makes working from home or having your own business or being able to set your own hours, uh, be a really key thing in a job. Like it, if I'm looking for a job at this point, it's really important for me to be able to actually set my own hours, even though my hours are pretty typical, because I need to be able to work around those working sessions, those deep work sessions. Otherwise, I'm not going to be as effective. And the same thing with you, Matt. If you weren't able to set your own hours, you would be a lot less effective. You'd have to be wake, wake up early in the morning, be groggy or get used to it, obviously, but still be groggy. Like if you're not a morning person, you're never going to get you're never going to be a happy person to wake up in the morning. You might get used to it and you might be able to adapt, but you're never going to be happy. And therefore, you're not going to be as effective as you can be uh, if you can just set your own hours and work the same amount of time and the same amount of effectiveness. Yeah, that, that, that's a good way to put it is is like half of the dread of, of when I have to wake, wake up early is obviously the fact that I'm not going to get much sleep. But then also is the fact that I don't want to be awake at that time. So, yeah, yeah like most most definitely, I just... I've never been that person, I guess. Like, 
hindsight's kind of 2020 now if you think about like all the weird stuff i used to do in school where i would like start math homework later or whatever the more complex homework is due to stuff like this and obviously i was not aware of that before because you're kind of stuck in the school schedule whether it be college or high school or whatever it is but at the end of the day you you kind of are who you are i suppose now maybe there's ways to adapt even more who knows but like you're right like i would i still wouldn't enjoy the morning like some people are fans of like the morning dew and stuff and they go for a run or something whereas i'm like i don't want to go out there right now you know so i don't think that's going to change anytime soon yeah exactly so it's nice that we can set our own hours so with that uh we're moving on to the afternoon segment number two uh if you haven't noticed i didn't eat breakfast uh in the morning i usually eat breakfast in the afternoon at around 11 a.m so it's like a pre-afternoon breakfast um i do that because i'm on the intermittent fasting schedule uh, whatever the numbers are, I don't know, but I, I don't, 816, something like that. I don't, I eat from 11 AM to like 7 PM and I don't eat any, any time before or after that. Um, so th- that's seemed to be working for me. Like it's a good way for me to maintain my, my weight. It's a good way for me to not snack at night, stuff like that. Like it's not, it's nothing crazy. It's not revolutionary or anything like that. Like it doesn't make me lose a hundred pounds. Um, but it's enough for me to have some sort of structure to my diet and that's enough. Like I, I don't do calorie counting. I don't do any of that. I do work out and stuff like that here and there, but I don't, I'm not on a strict schedule or anything, but I do keep my, uh, my eating hours between 11 and seven as much as possible. Obviously there is some exceptions. I'm not super rigid on it, but anyway, this is not, this isn't a health podcast. Uh, so I'm not going to talk to you about that off that of it, but yeah, I'll start my afternoon with an 11 AM breakfast and usually that'll be like a half hour. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to start my prep work for for calls usually because my calls start in the range of around 12 to 1 p.m. Depending on uh, the day, depending on who I need to speak to and stuff like that. Um, and so if I don't have any prep work for calls, then I'll just continue my deep work, whatever task that I'm on. Uh, usually by that time, it'll probably be like either finishing something off that's really that's complicated or doing some more simple tasks so I'm able to bang out a few things uh, in an hour or so. But as soon as that's done, I'll be jumping on calls. So I have a stand-up every day at 1 p.m. my time, uh, which is Eastern. And that stand-up is kind of the most important call of the day because it sets the tone for whatever's going to come next. Um, it's with the whole entire with the whole team. We have to all go through it, see what see what the blockers are, stuff like that. It's a general basic stand-up. Uh, it's not long. It's a, like a maximum of half an hour. Sometimes we get it done in fifteen minutes. Stuff like that. It's not it's nothing crazy, but it's a really important call because again, everyone can call out what they did the previous day and what they need to do that day and whatever they need from anyone else on the team. And because I'm the tech lead on that team, that means that most of the stuff that they need are from me if it's a development related task. So I need to know how I'm going to schedule the rest of my day based on that call. After that call, that's when kind of the collaborative work starts. That's when I'm going to be going and figuring out which meetings I need to do, which which deep deep dives I need to do with programmers, what pair programming I'm going to need to do. Is there any code reviews for pull requests that I need to finish? Are there any questions that are still unanswered that I need to kind of follow up on? Stuff like that. That's where, that's where the next part of my day lies in. And that could take anywhere between like two or three hours. Um, obviously, again, this is the where the variance comes in. Sometimes it's a really basic stand-up. 
like 10 minutes, no one has any questions. And and then I go right back into doing my deep work. But most of the time, there's usually some follow up, at least with a worst case scenario of it being like three hours of constant meetings. What I try to do to break those meetings up is after each meeting, I'll try to at least stand up, go on the balcony, take a breath of fresh air, because I'm not like, I wouldn't say that I stress over meetings. But for me, when I'm meeting with a bunch of new people, it's always going to be a little bit of a higher stress than if I'm just on my own doing my own thing. So it it does kind of cloud my mind. It does kind of make me more tired uh, and less effective as I go on throughout the day. So that's why I need to get a lot of work done before my meetings because after my meetings, I'm usually pretty tired uh, and I'm not going to be able to do any of that heavy work, at least until I take a break. And with that, uh, the end of the afternoon kind of goes back to me checking the to-do list to make sure that there's no severe outstanding stuff to add anything as well that has come up throughout the day. So if there's like, for instance, an issue that myself and a developer couldn't resolve uh, during the working session or during a question, or I just didn't have enough time, I'll add that to the to-do list for the next day or for the for the next few hours if I'm if I'm around and stuff like that. So that kind of ends the afternoon portion, the middle portion of the day, and goes on to the end of the day portion, segment number three. So with that, uh, at segment number three is the kind of the end of the day. So I don't do too many like intensive tasks here. What I start with is I'll usually try to figure out if there's anyone I need to touch base with that you know maybe I missed in the afternoon because there was other more important stuff. Is there anyone out there that like just needs that one extra push to get like an assignment done? Am I blocking anyone from getting their tasks done? Do I need to, you know, commit my changes in one branch to push it so that people can pull in from my branch to do pull requests? Stuff like that, like administrative programming work, but not like any serious tasks that that usually need to be done. Like obviously, again, this varies based on if it's crunch time or not. Like if we need to get work done, uh, everything kind of goes out the window and I just sit there and work. But Again, if I if I get all that done, I'll do a final check of my to-do list, make sure that everything's been done that needs to be done that day. I'll check stuff off, I'll write notes, I'll then I'll kind of gra- like go into email mode. So if there's anything that I need, that I need that people haven't followed up with me on, I'll send out emails. There's no point in kind of calling at that point because it's usually around 5 or 6 p.m. I don't want to bother people at the very end of their day unless it's an emergency. So I'll just send out an email to the people that I need to get more information from and I'll leave it for the next day to see what where they get there and stuff like that. And again, this kind of varies drastically during crunch time. So in a crunch time setting... Uh, I'll, I'll do similar setup for, uh, for the end of the day, but what I'll, what will change is like, I'll finish the day. I'll go have dinner. I'll do my workout. I'll hang out with my wife for a bit. And then usually at around 8 PM, I'll sit back down to do another working session. And usually this working session is another deep work session where I'll just put on some music or something and I'll just work for another one to three hours or until like I can't work anymore essentially because I'm not a I'm not an evening person. I can get some work done in the evening if I have to, but I'm not an evening person. So if I, you know, at some point during that evening, I'm going to start trailing off and I'll start like putting commas in the wrong places, putting like brackets in the wrong places. Like I'll, it'll be a very obvious degradation of my programming abilities. And at that point I'm like, okay, well there's no point in continuing. I'm just wasting time at this point. There's, you know, it's just, it's worse for me to keep going because I'm probably going to write bad code. I'm going to make it, 
I'm going to make it so the application actually works worse than if I were to just come back fresh in the morning. So what would you say, I was going to ask you a question here. So like, how does this, how does this uh, entire schedule vary when you have crunch time? Is it all just forced work forced deep work is there still calls like how does is there more calls like how do you handle this so uh that's a good question so with the deep work so if it's crunch time and i have to get tasks done like i have to get programming tasks done i'm not the one managing tasks then it is less calls i'll do the stand-up and then i'll specifically say on the stand-up hey like i need to get you know task a b and c done i don't have time today to support so unless you guys have any emergency stuff that I need to support right now, this is the time to ask. And then I'll extend the stand up by like 10 or 15 minutes, but that's it. And after that, it'll be like literally no communication with the outside team unless I have some questions. And like it's the strict like me sitting down and just working policy. So less less meetings usually, less uh, task manage like less to-do list management. It's just me just going and working on a either a one complex problem or many inter, interwoven problems that, that need to get done in sequential order. Um, that's really the only thing that changes. Uh, sometimes the, the crunch is actually me having to do more meetings because it, it's a crunch, but it's me having to figure out what features need to be added, for instance. So I need to gather requirements better. So I need to, I need to talk to more people to get the requirements down and get the you know, the, the set of tasks that I need to do down because like right now, for instance, we're coding a pretty complex application that needs to kind of support many different use cases and has to have like a million different configuration settings because like one store might be different from another store and stuff like that. Uh, so I'm in the process of kind of getting those requirements down and then getting those configuration settings down. So it is a lot of meetings and that's, it is kind of a crunch because we need to get it out as soon as possible. So I'm trying to organize meetings around those requirements and I'm trying to minimize the amount of time that I'm supporting development because it's not as important due to the fact that if we develop something right now, it could change in, in the next meeting. So I'm tr I try to balance between, between doing the development and actually uh, getting the correct requirements because that's the important part. So then... It sounds like your crunch time is more is less less of a rigid schedule. How much how rigid yes. would your schedule be? How, how how rigid to the plan that you just laid out when you're not in crunch? Like how are you are you specifically being like oh eight p.m. You know do you have like an alarm set like eight p.m. But I don't back have down? any. So this is an average like an average thing. I don't have any rigidity to my schedule other than a few things like when I eat. Um, even when I wake up, isn't super rigid. It's somewhere between like seven 30 and eight, just naturally. Like I don't really follow my, follow any alarms or anything like that. I don't like, I don't like rigidity too much because it just makes the days too boring. This is again, the, the stuff that I just said is kind of an average of what, what happens each day. I don't, you know, put an alarm on 11 AM and be like, or like 10 AM and be like, okay, now I need to take a sip of my coffee or something like that. Or now I need to stand up and go, you know, walk around. I don't do that. I just, when I naturally feel that I'm tired, I'll stand up and walk around, go outside, get another coffee or something like that. So I try to keep it as ad hoc as possible, but it, it turns out I've been kind of monitoring it over the past few weeks. And there is some sort of average to it where it's like, this is an average day of my life. What do you mean by ad hoc in terms of a schedule? Like, 
ad hoc means like I will be, I won't be rigid. So I won't, again, I won't follow a, a strict schedule. So I'll just change it up if I need to. Right, right, right. Is there, you I don't, you don't be, have like a task list that's all has timers and you're like, drink no, coffee No, I don't now. have a task list of timers. Yeah, not at all. Okay. I don't have a stopwatch being like timing how long I'm coding for and stuff like that. I, I don't like that. That's too much for me. Uh, I know some people can benefit from something like that. But for me, it's just like my natural rhythm keeps me in in check enough where right. I don't need to follow an, a strict timeline. And even with that, like, like I said before, you're a lot, you're a lot stricter than me. Like I, I very much jump around. Like I, you're right in that there's some things that just fall into place. Like I always check my emails and calls and stuff like that. When I wake up, see if I miss any calls or whether there's a call that needs to happen or whatever. If I need to schedule some calls, I always schedule them in the afternoon. Cause like, that's just what I do. Cause then I, like, if you interrupt me scheduling a social media post or like editing the podcast, it's not like that's deep work necessarily. It's just like, Oh, like I'm back to, you know, hour mark 110 or something i can just keep editing so uh, that type of stuff like if you interrupt me there i don't really care a lot of the time i will ignore like a bunch of that type of stuff and then um i jump around a lot so i use microsoft to do like the i've signed in with my enterprise account whatever and i use that to track things like people a lot of the clients i deal with are very sort of they like to bounce ideas so they'll bounce an idea off me and then i'll just jot down everything they say for the most part in and in tasks or I'll just jot it all down into one task and then later I'll break it up into tasks just to whichever is more expedient for the type of call because sometimes they're in a hurry or whatever and then uh basically I'll just sort of chip away at stuff so like right now we got a couple things that are due but a couple things that are waiting so I'll like today or like last week uh, I kept being interrupted by random phone calls and stuff like that so because of that um, there's that like part of the non-rigidity. So instead of me just saying, okay, I'm not going to do call. I just said, okay, whatever. And I just sort of de- did a deep dive as Mike and I had discussed before this into a bunch of like how social media specs work and like, what's the best time to post and stuff like that. Like I did sort of a, a deep, I mean, as deep a dive as you can get in a couple of days, but I went in and sort of researched that because I was consistently being called and there were little things happening. And like, we have this big project that needs to constantly be resubmitted. So like we were doing that. And so a lot of the stuff isn't, isn't necessarily like deeply technical if you will and then and then this kind of frees me up so that like i mean on the like it was a long weekend here in canada so like on the long weekend we had like an outage in one of our data centers so it's like i kind of like dealing with that on the side and stuff like that so i'm not being like super rigid uh in that you know this is my weekend time or like this is my no call time or whatever uh although i think maybe we need to a little bit to maybe get more twitch streams up for example because obviously i can't be taking a call every five minutes in a twitch stream uh so that's like one thing that may become more rigid but the uh the point of the matter is like i i prefer like an organized chaos if if that makes sense where i might not like there's been weeks where i just won't even touch css and it's all social media or it's all fixing up of stuff or it's all calling people or it's all working on old projects or reorganizing like a little bit of server stuff but then there'll be weeks where i have to deep dive into like random like government regulation let's say and i'll be doing calls and stuff like that about government regulation and stuff uh or i'll be uh depending on the project of course i don't just read regulation for fun to be clear (laughs) and then then i'll have other weeks where i'll be all like all webflow all the time and then other weeks where i'll be all not necessarily, I want to say all, I mean like in my deep work time usually. So I'll be like all tutorial all the time, or I'll be looking, looking for people to uh, have a conversation with. Like I'll be looking for people to, 
I just there we go. There there there's one of my there's one of my schedule things. I just had a panic attack. I just thought we missed an interview that we had scheduled, but it's next week, so that's good. See, you see how non rigid my schedule is. I just realized I was like, wait a second, are we supposed to have an interview today? No, that's to, that that is uh, that is next week. So thankfully, thank you to Microsoft Calendar for the. <laughs> That's how non-rigid my schedule is. But anyway, uh, but yeah, so when something rigid like that happens, when you have to like schedule a date, it becomes like a big thing for me. But regardless of which, like that's just, that's just how I prefer to work. I think it, I don't know whether it stems from, uh, it, you're kind of all over the place. One day you're imaging computers. The next day you're fixing like a mouse or something. The next day you're in the, I don't know, you're in the networking closet, rewriting cables. The next day you're at your computer all day. The next time you're writing documentation, you're all over the place all the time. And that's sort of what I found to be better than just constantly doing something. I worked in a factory for a long time in which I effectively poked muffins for a living. That's not a joke. So I would like that got very boring, but then when they moved me to a job where I was doing like more random stuff or active stuff, like manage this and move this stuff over here and do this and do your paperwork, it was a lot better for me because I, I thrive better in an environment where I have to like jump around a little bit and have like a bit of like, it's not like, Oh, it's 4 PM better go get the old like car out or something. You know, I prefer a non-rigid environment in general. So I think you're right in that it's, well, I don't know if you said this, but I guess I'll say it now. So like it, it it's in my opinion, for the type of person I am, it's healthier to have a sort of chaotic schedule, but just have sort of procedures in, in, in place. So when someone asks for a call, I do it this way. When someone asks for this, I do it this way. When someone wants an email, I do it this way. And that's just how, that's just how I handle it. Um, I just find that to be a lot better, a lot, a lot smoother. And it goes, everything goes just a lot easier, uh, which, you know, really helps with that type of thing. Um, but I think that really concludes sort of, uh, the day in the life. Um, I don't know whether you guys, whether you want to add anything else to that, Mike. We can jump in the old web news if you'd like. Yeah, I think I think you summed it up really well there at the end. Uh, like the, I think the main the main point that you brought up and that you solidified is that everyone's day in the life would be different, and it's important to uh, follow your own signs of what you think would be the most effective way of handling that day. But it's also good to hear different ways because what I did was like I took a bunch of advice from a bunch of different uh, sources and tried to make my own like schedule or tried to make my own way of doing it. And the other thing is is that I'm constantly changing it. So I'm constantly kind of, you know, adjusting it and making it so that it's not boring for me or that I, I actually enjoy it, stuff like that. So it's... It's an ever-evolving process. This is, again, uh, just one average day in the life. There's a lot of variances. There's a lot of other things that could happen. But it's kind of cool to – I was tracking it a little bit, journaling it a, bit, a little bit. And it was cool to see how actually consistent it is, although I don't have it planned consistently. I think that's actually a really good critical point you brought up is that you took you took pieces of information from various guides. If you read – uh, productivity guide or like this is how you this is how I became a programmer and six month guide and stuff like that you know, I'm sure there's a bunch of really good information in there and I'm sure it's a bunch of really good stuff but I was actually having a conversation with a friend yesterday where I was saying where you know we we as entrepreneurs uh, or we as people who want to be productive so whether you're just a developer or you're you're an aspiring developer looking to just to get a job or whether you're an entrepreneur that wants to go into freelancing or start your own web agency or whatever you know, we all sort of read these these guides or these these Bibles as they're sometimes referred to, where it's like a billionaire, let's say, if you're in the business space, and it's a billionaire that says, this is how I got here. Or like a web dev is like, I, I became, I, I was hired in six months, follow these steps, these exact steps exactly. 
and you know what they those steps that either the billionaire or like the entrepreneur in that case or the uh, the developer in that case they might be steps that work for you and they might work for a whole bunch of people but I, I do think it's important to realize that I mean and we said this before is like we are not machines and it and it, it's important to also notice that being a billionaire has a an aspect of luck to it. And I think that that applies in a smaller scale in terms of money because we're not all billionaires. I think that applies in a in a in a sense here as well. Like it, you know, it, you got lucky if you're if you're in a field that you really enjoy. You're you're lucky that you have that job. Are you lucky that you found your your thing that you enjoy? Whereas some people just sort of like, oh, I'm an accountant and I really don't like math, but I'm an accountant because it was a good job and it, I can work in multiple places so I can be steady, like, or I can have steady work, you know, it's, I'm an accountant. And so, I mean, if you love being, being an accountant, you know, power to you, but there's some people that just, that just absolutely, you know, will not enjoy it. And, 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 but what, but will still do it. And so what I'm getting at is that, yes, read those articles. Yes, read all that stuff, but keep in mind your human element. If you took another billionaire or another developer that got there in six months, their steps would be different. That that other billionaire steps would be different. You know, Mark Zuckerberg runs things differently than Bill Gates did, than he runs things differently than Satya Nadella did, and everything else. And the point is, is like they probably took advice from mentors. Like a bunch of these guys always mention mentors and stuff like that in, in these articles that you read. But they take the mentors' advice and then apply it in their own way. And that's how they come up with their own unique formula. There's a reason why not all of us can just follow this, the exact, you know, education, life experience, whatever path of choose a billionaire and become that same person. It's because everyone has their own unique flavor. It depends on where you live, what you're doing, some luck, who's around you, what contacts you have, whatever, right? And so I know that that's going outside of the realm of getting or like a day in the life. But I just feel as though some people will try to structure themselves as their favorite influencer, you know, whether that's us or whether that's someone else on Medium or someone on YouTube or whatever it is, and that's not going to work for you most likely. But some of it will. Like them saying you need to study more and that they study for eight hours a day starting at 9 a.m., maybe you do need to study more, but maybe you absorb information faster and can do it in six hours starting at 10 p.m. But some people will try to be rigid, and maybe that will work for them, but it won't work for others. And so I just really wanted to draw attention to that, that these guides can get you stuck in a rut where you're constantly trying to follow their advice to the letter, but they can also make you depressed about your own situation because you're not doing exactly what they're doing. You're not hitting the same milestones as fast as these other people did, when in reality, if you changed it up a bit to your own flavor then you're good to go. Some people need the exact structure that that that's that they're set out to do. If they read the article, they're like, yep, that sounds like me, and they do it, power to them. But there's going to be a lot of people that can take bits and pieces, but not all of it, and still succeed or even do better. So just something to keep in mind when you're sort of reading through the through the sea of advice and, and influencer stuff, and even this podcast. Take what, you, take what you value and apply it the way you would. And if you're really lost... Maybe apply it like us if you take the advice from us. But then you might be like, man, I really hate how this is always eight hours straight. Maybe you want to do four hours, take a break, and then do another four hours. You know, give it a go. Every company and every person is different. So just a bit of a tangent or related tangent, I suppose, but something I thought I would touch on. 
But uh, we'll jump right, jump right in here then to the uh, to the web news. So this week, uh, the web news is reseller hosting and recurring income. So reseller hosting seems like an easy way to make money for web developers. So if you don't know, you basically approach a larger hosting company, HostGator or, you know, Web Hosting Canada or whoever. You approach one of those guys and you buy a reseller account and they basically rent you a section of their server and you can get like, there's some where it's like VPS or shared hosting or whatever. Like you choose a tier. We're not going to get into the weeds of the tiers and stuff. So you choose a tier to resell and then you resell that space, hopefully at a profit. So, you know, this can be this this can be a great opportunity straight up for web developers if they have a bunch of clients that need their projects, you know, so let's say you build their projects and then you build their projects and then, uh, you know, they need that hosting account. They need that hosting from you. That's a great way. That's a great way to make money. However, there's a lot of people that, you know, they they have hosting already. They just want you to update their site. They don't want to do a migration. Their email is usually tied in there. So they're scared of using their email. A lot of guys still use email. A lot of people still use email. So it's it's very much a, a, a fear to move email, especially if you're actually moving the mailbox itself. So they can actually lose data at that point. So they're not even just missing messages during the migration if there is any missed messages, but they can also miss like actually get messages lost depending on if they're stored in the cloud or stored in their computer or whatever. And so it's a whole sort of big thing. If you've ever done an email migration, you know this. So back to the reseller thing. So a lot of people, right, who aren't even, sometimes aren't even technical. They just think, oh, reseller hosting is great. I'll rent a space from this person. I'll sell it at like a re, I'll sell it at like a, like a profit. But they don't really realize that you're effectively, you know, sort of in a, I wrote niche here, but maybe it's not a niche, but you're sort of in a space where like you need to really sort of dive in and actually run it like a business. Like you need to market the fact that you have space available. You need to be priced competitively. You need to offer something that other people do not or offer something that uh, people prefer, whether it be better prices or better support or better whatever. And you need to offer that type of stuff if you're trying to rent it out to people in the public. People aren't just going to be like, oh, this guy is a reseller now. I'll go to him because why wouldn't he go to the person that you're reselling from? Unless you're that client. So web developers, like I said, already have an in and that's really great. But the people who are looking at just renting space out, I'm sure there's a bunch of people out there that are successful at doing it. But I'm also sure, I'm also sure. And if I'm wrong, please hit us up in some sort of social media to let us know how you did it. I'm also sure that they put in the elbow grease. They did some sort of Instagram ad marketing or something or like Facebook marketing or they word of mouth or they had an in with a developer that didn't want to handle servers or they had an in with something or they bought a hosting company or something like that. There's definitely like a way that they did it and it wasn't just, oh, they rented a space out and then everyone came clambering for their clambering for their hosting accounts that are marked up, by the way, from the guy you're renting it from, like to an extent, of course, right? So anyway, so if you really think about it, this is very similar to referral or affiliate programs from other businesses where you can become an affiliate or whatever they call it with Amazon, where if somebody clicks your link, then you get a kickback if the person that clicked your link buys the thing. That's really great and that's really awesome. But the point of Amazon doing that is because they're hoping that you as an affiliate will go and market it out and you need to actually market that product. You can't just be like, hey guys, I have like a camera link. Can you guys just like use this instead? That might work if you're on a podcast like this, or if you're on something where the work's been effectively put in, if you're on an influential podcast or an influential Facebook page or something, and you can say, hey guys, this camera's on sale. And so you did the research, you know your people want cameras, and you put this camera on sale, people might buy stuff from that link. But there's all that work put in behind it. 
that's the main thing. Like the business in those cases is they're an influencer of some sort, whether it be a podcast or a Facebook page or whatever it is, the work's been done there. And I feel as though people just think they can jump into the affiliate game and be like, yeah, people are just going to buy from this link. Why the hell would I buy from your link when I can just type in the same name into my app where I'm already signed in and maybe I'm not even signed in on my computer. I just always order stuff from my app. That's a very normal situation to be in. Some people don't have computers. Why would I click your link when I could just go into my app and look up the exact same thing, which which Amazon may have already suggested to me, by the way, because they're pretty good at doing that. So the point is reseller hosting and recurring income in general, like affiliate programs and whatever are great revenue sources, I'm sure. Mike and I do do a little reseller hosting for some people. It's been working out good for us. We have some space now that we can test projects in and everything else. We're renting it out to a few people. Everything's good. We know how the stuff works, so we have good support. We made sure that our reseller has good support, so if like something in the data center side goes down, or if I'm unsure of how to change a feature or something, they're knowledgeable and they know what they're doing. So everything's great that way. But we have the work put in. We have the web agency already already in place. We have a podcast already in place. We have all the rest of it already in place. There's a bunch of work behind that. And I feel as though I just kind of want to have a discussion. I know this is a web I know this is a web news and I'm kind of going off, but I want to have a discussion on how it's not easy for these programs that would be seemingly easy to make money on, how it's not easy to make money on them. And how there is a big a big business put into them. Yeah. So let me just. Uh, I think the, I think the big point is that everyone wants to get to that passive income or recurring income stage where they've created a bunch of products or they've created a bunch of services that don't need a lot of upkeep, and it's they're constantly being used. To enough to, to the point where they're like living off of those services. So essentially you're like retired, you're very little upkeep or you're paying someone to do the upkeep and you are making enough money to live off of. That's, I mean, in my eyes, that's the goal of passive income. Is that, is that correct with you? Like, is that what you would want in passive income where you don't actually have to do much to achieve that income at the end? Literally the definition of passive income, but yes, okay. like from a personal exactly. note, yeah, absolutely. So I think what's lost is the amount of time and effort and luck and just skill and stuff that has to go in to get to that stage and the the percent chance of it actually happening even if you are really good at something or if you have all that or if you have the audience or whatever like the even the chance of it happening to the point where you can actually be completely passive or somewhat passive and still receive an income is low and and the amount of work put in is is high so even though the word is passive in there, it's very much a lot of work to get there. And we're at the stage where we're kind of getting there, like we're we can see it happening. We have a few things that are actually passive, but it's all still very small. It's all still very much at the stage where it's definitely not supporting us. Most of our income is coming from very much active like services uh design website uh, creation editing help like it's it's very much an active source of income still even though we're very much trying to create a system where we do get that passive income where we can just create content that people will enjoy and want to pay for or help support us with but that's 
a very difficult task, as we found out. And it's really important for people that start uh, getting into this to know that. Like you can't, in my in my mind, if you're like if you have a job right now, or if you're like if you don't if you don't have money saved up, and you're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to become a passive income expert, and I'm just going to make money passively. Uh, without you know without having a side job or anything i'm just going to do this and i'm going to make money passively i think that's a that thought process probably won't work for you like unless you get lucky and all that or unless you're super talented in a specific skill or something like that you have some sort of standout factor what most likely needs to happen is you need to kind of slowly and gradually and effectively transition or supplement your regular active income with passive until to the point where you can reproduce a system that will generate you that passive income. So for instance, if we found out that after like two years of doing this, that all of it, that, you know, making courses or making uh, video guides is the way to the passive income, right? Because through a lot of like trial and error and through a lot of research and through a lot of effort, we found that out, then we would start putting a lot more effort into that. And we would start churning that out and churning that out and getting it up and more and more and more. And at that point, then we can start, you know, going from active to passive and transitioning our time that way. But to be like, I'm going full passive right away. I just don't think that's a realistic mindset. And I think it's important to bring that up. So I think that there has to be, there has to be that transitionary period. There has to be that in between, like you need you need to generate your skills. You need to generate that that idea or whatever you have, and you need to kind of give yourself some time without rushing into it. Like unless you're in a perfect situation where you don't have to pay for anything, uh, there just isn't a way to to get there without actually doing, actually having a job or actually having that active like contractor income or whatever. And and the thing is too, like that's a good point. A good thing to note is, especially in the web development industry, and just the web industry in general, the the prospects of passive income are are there right they're you know it's ripe for the taking if you're a person that knows how to make a really good podcast hosting website and podcast hosting service and you build out that service and then people start hosting like effectively renting space from you and using your features for your distribution uh to other podcast services and like you you write guides and everything to help all these people and maybe you have a monetization program for them and stuff like that so you're just like a really your 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 ears to the ground of the podcast world and you're always updating and stuff like that then you do have passive income in that people like you're you're designing a product the product is sitting there whether it's now generally it has to be marketed in some degree so the product is sitting there right for the taking if we just ignore marketing for a moment let's just say people are coming in from some source from marketing of some source so people are coming in they're not you're not working for them individually and while you are maybe away for a day or two people are still buying stuff so the income itself is passive because people have recurring bills because they're hosting a podcast with you they also have uh, the initial payment if it's if it's more for whatever reason. So like, you know, they have the initial payment and then the recurring payments, however much those are. And those recurring payments will continue going until they cancel. But the thing is, what Mike is saying is the active, the active time needs to be there. You needed to get that initial, that, uh, that initial, excuse me, project out. And as a result of getting that initial project out or in order, I should say, to get that initial project out. The initial project needs to be needs to be researched, have a good UX, have marketing, like I said, have 
all the bits and pieces to make you stand out from the competition to have you have people want to come to your service and use it and then effectively pay for it. It's the same thing with a blog. There is passive income in the blogging space where let's say you write over a year or like let's say it's a half a year just to make it easier. So half a year goes by and you have a hundred articles and you have tons of people coming in and reading all those articles. Absolutely. Assuming your SEO is good and all the rest of it and your website stays up for years to come, you will have people coming to your website, but those numbers will peter down, especially if it's a news site down to nothing or near zero or low, unless you, you have an active role in writing new articles on whatever schedule works for your niche. That's the big thing is the difference with passive income. And you can go and like take a much better advice from Pat Flynn than what we would give you because he's the passive income guy. Um, Oh, check out his podcast. But regardless, he even says working hard now so you can reap the benefit later. That's part of his podcast sort of byline or slogan or whatever you want to call it. And what that is, is you're putting in the work now to say, build out that podcast service. And then there's still active work. Like maybe every month or every two months, you push out an update where you're like, Oh, Amazon music's now taking podcasts. I better put an article up about that. Or I better put a feature in because of that or something. How, whatever works for your particular niche. If you're a news site, you better have up to date news. You're not going to have up to date news. If you write something from 2009, how out of date is a news article from 2009? Now, some stuff is more timeless. You can try to do that. But again, even with tech stuff, if you did a guide on Windows 7, sorry to say this, but Windows 7 is now no longer modern. So if someone comes around and sees your video or your embedded video in your blog post, and they're, you're showing them how to set something up in, in Windows 7, is that more timeless? Yeah, because there's going to be tons of people even today on, on Windows 7. But there's a lot of people that are no longer on Windows 7. Could you imagine following a tutorial from somebody, even if even if what they're saying is up to date, could you imagine doing a tutorial from somebody who's filming and clearly filming on Windows XP? I'm immediately, sorry, not really going to trust that in, that thing because it's old. It's probably not going to be that great because back then, obviously, uh, home, almost at home video, but I guess it'd be home like recording and microphones and stuff like that. Like, like the, the, the idea of the quote unquote creator wasn't really a thing back then. And so obviously you're suffering from the fact that the industry as a whole wasn't quite bumped up. So yes, you created a quote unquote timeless video, but it's time, sorry for an update. And that updated video takes a, it takes an active role. So the point is, is like, let's say, for example, Mike and I build up our passive income. So we're selling a bunch of hosting and we're selling a bunch of maintenance plans and stuff like that. And then him and I both. So effectively, our business closes for two weeks. We all we both just go on vacation, wherever the hell we're going, whether we're together or apart, doesn't matter. We're just gone for two weeks. We're no longer at the office. We don't have we don't have any communication. The passive part of those businesses is the fact that money, however little or however much, will continue to roll in and the business is, appears and is actually still open despite us not being around. That's the key thing. But when we come back, I guarantee there's going to be a couple support requests or something or stuff like that where you need you need to have that active role and that's the main problem. So I really wanted to bring attention to this, honestly, because I feel as though, especially in this sort of work from home age, this COVID age, whatever you want to call it, I really feel as though people are going to be looking, and I think we may have mentioned this before, looking for ways to make money online. And I, I honestly think unless, and there's a million and one niches out there, so I could be wrong on a bunch of them, 
But for the most part, and the ones I can think of on the top of my head, you need to have an active role, especially at the beginning, for most, if not all, businesses that boast passive income. A prime example would be, there are people out there that drop ship, okay? And they think, oh, that's a great way to do like passive income where you you find a product on some some website that ships that generally will ship ship from China, let's say. So it'll it'll ship from China and it will ship obviously uh, because it's from directly from China, it's gonna be cheaper. So let's say it's a watch. I don't know. I'm making something up. So it's a watch. Let's say the watch is $10 if you were to order it from China. So you go, oh, okay, well, this watch actually looks pretty good. Why don't we try to, uh, why don't we do some drop shipping and why don't we, why don't we, sh- why don't we sell it like as if it's, you know, some really, really super cool watch. So we'll, we'll make up the marketing scheme. We'll take out the Instagram ads. We'll do all this other stuff and we will take out all these ads for this watch. And when somebody orders from us, we'll just buy a watch and ship it to them. That's at a high level drop shipping. Now, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, and God knows whether it's legal everywhere, I don't know whether it is, but if you think about it, that is passive income because now you have your store open and everything. But what did you have? You had a bunch of marketing knowledge that you had to apply. If you didn't have marketing knowledge, you had to learn the marketing knowledge and then apply it. You had to build out a website or a Shopify store because there's various ways to do whatever. You had to learn or already have learned in which those hours are effectively invested even if they were done on personal time, you have to learn or have learned social media skills and you have to know what looks good. So you have to have a little bit of design knowledge because you're not going to go out and hire a bunch of people to sell these $10 watches because God knows how many people are going to buy it. And some people are super, super, super successful with drop shipping. And I'm sure it has its ups and downs and everything. And I'm not acquainted with drop shipping in any way. So I don't know really anything about it beyond what I said. So I'm sure there's a, there's an in-depth community out there. And if you have any comments, like, let us know, maybe we can have you on the show. If you're a, a big drop shipper, cause it'd be an interesting thing to talk about, about web or about what's going on on the web. But the point is there's a big active component. There's a reason why there's like dropshipping guides and there's dropshipping webinars and there's dropshipping videos and dropshipping this and dropshipping YouTube channels. I'm sure I haven't checked, but I know for sure there's been, I've seen a couple webinars and stuff like that because it is a job. Yes. If you start your dropshipping campaign, make the website and then leave and you just, you just take off for a week. People are going to be buying that watch all week, assuming your, your ad campaigns are running for a week and your, and your website's up. But what you're not going to be able to sell that watch forever. You're going to have to go find another product, build another page, build another, this, put another product for sale, figure stuff out, make sure there's enough, make sure there's enough stock, do this, do that. And like mess around. Maybe you're going to have to mess around with inventory, change the watch. If it sells out and it's not coming back into stock, whatever. And so to end the rant, there's a big active component to passive income that I feel as though people don't realize, but passive income is still possible. Passive income is still valuable and passive income should absolutely be a part of whatever business you're trying to do, especially if it's online because it's invaluable and because it will keep you afloat and fill in those gaps between say projects, big payout. Cause you did a project. Now there's a lull, but now that during that lull, you're maybe learning something new. If you're a web dev, you're learning something new, but all your hosting fees are keeping you afloat. New project comes in. Now you're more skilled. Now you can charge a little more and then you go up there, you know, up, up goes the curve for how much money you came in and then down it goes again, but it doesn't hit bottom. It kind of like flattens out a little bit because you have that passive income and, and it's possible, absolutely possible that passive income will bring you tons and tons of money. And eventually you'll be like, what are you talking about? I never had an active role. Well, you set it up, didn't you? So you had an active role at some point, 
So that's just my. Two- I don't think. Hmm? Sorry, go ahead. Like I don't think there's anyone that's earned a passive income that will say that they never had an active role. Like I think I think that 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 mindset would only be from someone that hasn't done it yet. If that makes sense. That that that's probably fair. Yeah, because yeah. people are gonna like. I uh, I've been doing a lot of social media lately, and like you might just be like, oh, all I'm doing is posting on Facebook. Yeah, but it's like it's a big job because it's like, oh, this you know this, these pictures gotta have their their uh all their aspect ratios changed this has to be changed we have to choose the right time we have to make sure everything's passed or spread out we got to make sure the captions are good the hashtags are good we got to move this and that and move this thing around everything and yes it's not rocket science and yes it's not a highly technical job and yes if someone looked at it they'd understand what i did but have them come in and say that's not work you know what if a I had problems with, with video uploading, so now I got to go and change the codec and everything else. Like, it is a lot of work to schedule stuff on social media. And that, yep. in and of itself, is passive, because passively, I haven't posted anything on social media for a week. I've had a bot do it. So, well, not a bot. I've had the official creator studio, or whatever they call it, but regardless of which, that's the point. You know what I mean? Like, it is very much a job, and, like, people, and that is an active role that I invested a certain amount of time, scheduled enough posts for like a week-ish or something like that, and then those posts were passive. I never touched social media. Now I'm out, and I gotta touch it again and go back in as an active person. Go back, be active for two, three hours, something like that. Then I can go passive again for a week or however much I've scheduled. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I think I think you bring up a good point. I think it's important to know um, the, that there's a lot of effort behind it and it's still even even the effort is not guaranteed to bring you anything but it's also important to strive for it because it is something that will improve your lifestyle improve everything drastically if you can kind of master it yes that's the thing is like you and i got into passive income late but if we had started earlier then we probably would have had you know even more passive income and that would have been even more money in between projects or in between in between whatever like uh I don't know, in between, <laughs> I was saying between pandemics these days, who freaking knows? I was going to try to say something specific, but 2020 is so damn crazy. Like in between whatever, you know, whatever happens on this crazy planet, uh, we have like a, a solidified income that, that, and to be clear to people, people will slowly unsubscribe, especially if a product is unsupported, people will unsubscribe. And so the passive income needs that active role, even to keep itself up in that regard. Membership sites need like new posts, podcast apps need to like have new articles and new features put out new, maybe new UI update here and there. Uh, what's another good passive income source blogs. Like I said, need to have new articles written, new blog posts, written new guides, whatever it is. YouTube channels need to be up. You see those influencers. There was a whole burnt YouTube burnout thing that happened in what? 2019, I think where they were talking about how everyone was getting burned out because they were freaking pumping out videos for four, four plus years every single day. Some of them. What a crazy, like, what a crazy way to be. You wake up and it's like, all right, get the cameras out. Like, what's going on here? Like, are we on, like, a, like, the Kardashians, like, reality show? Like, what's going on here? Like, these people effectively were, you know, some of them. Crazy. So, that's my two cents on recurring income, passive income, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think mm-hmm. we can run the old conclusion unless Mike has anything to add here. No, I think, uh, I think you summed it up pretty well. Let's run her up. Alrighty, well, uh, remember we're on that Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. And uh, many thanks to our $3 tier patrons 
Sean from Rabbit Works JavaScript. Find him at youtube.com slash rabbitworksjavascript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design. Find him at localpathcomputing.com. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital. Find him at blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Self Made Web Designer. Find him at selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker. Find him at thewebhacker.com. DL Ford from dlford.io. And Bib Hashdash from Twitter via at Bib Hashdash. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you're listening to this on, and this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.